0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called Return and Rebuild as he speaks on how we overcome different types of opposition and keep our focus on what God has called us to do. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now.
1: Amen, Impact Church. How are you doing this morning? Are y'all excited to be here? Let's get to the Word. All right, Ezra. We've been going through the book of Ezra expositionally in a sermon series entitled Return and Rebuild. And last week, we started into chapter 4 and we saw some of the opposition that already, just as soon as these Israelites had gotten started, had returned back to the Lord, had set the altar, had returned to worship, and set the foundation and praised the Lord, and it was heard aloud. Well, I guess it was a little bit too loud because everybody heard what was going on, right? The people that didn't want them to, to praise the Lord. The people that, that didn't want the Lord back in this area. I want you to hear that. And so there was opposition that arose and we saw some of that from last week. And so now we come into this second part of chapter four, the lengthier part of chapter four, and we see that this opposition did not stop. And we're going to see further of what it looks like, because honestly, it's going to get a little stronger. It's going to move from irritating to relentless. You ever experienced opposition like that? Where it it moved from just, it was irritating, it was just annoying. Where it was so relentless and so overwhelming that it wanted to make you quit. Yeah. That's what they're going to face. And we're going to see that here today. And I thought a great illustration as we look at this and look at what these Israelites have gone through and what we go through in opposition and the things that the enemy uses to want to make us quit is I I liken it to a Rocky fight. And I know I'm dating myself, you're like, Rocky? Some of y'all young people are like, Rocky? What's Rocky? Maybe y'all heard of Rocky, I don't know. But this boxer, right, Rocky Balboa, all right? Sylvester Stallone, okay, all right? And he had these multiple Rocky movies and no matter which one it was, the scenario was very similar in every single fight, wasn't it? He would get in against somebody who was more powerful, trained, get in this fight, maybe even fight him once and lose, come back in this main fight at the end. And he would fight, and he would fight, and he would fight. But usually, he would get beat down, worn out, backed into the corner, punched, bloodied, so he couldn't see. And then when he was wearied and tired and beaten and bruised from the length and the duration of the fight already, then what would happen? They would come for the knockout punch, right? And would send Rocky to the canvas. And then there was this scene often where the referee was giving him the count, but he would get up somehow, some way. He got up and with a second breath, so to speak, Would use that power, that energy, and that last breath to fight with all his might and defeat what was trying to defeat him. I want us to get a message in that today because that's exactly what we're going to see right here before us in chapter four. We're going to see a group of God's people who are returning to him to worship and through opposition have been beaten, they've been bloodied, they've been backed in a corner, they've been wearied and and drained and they're tired and just when they're at that moment then comes the rest of chapter 4 here comes the knockout punch here comes the false accusations here comes the repetitive relentless opposition coupled with force and power to make them quit it was the knockout punch and it was going to put them to the canvas but as we'll see through the rest of Ezra that God's going to give them a second breath because What God wants to do and what God will do in your life may be delayed by an enemy or a time of opposition, but it cannot be stopped. So I want you to hear that. And I want us to see that as we look at this opposition, I don't want this just to be like, oh my goodness, this is happened, and this is going to happen to me. And if I step out for Christ, I'm just going to be opposed and ridiculed. And I don't want you to get that message totally. I want you to be prepared for the battle. But I want you to see the victory that Christ gives through all of it. And we're going to see an example of all of this set by Christ himself that we can follow and know that no matter what the opposition is, that we can get off the canvas and continue to fight for the victory that Christ has already won at Calvary. And with an empty tomb, so let me pray for us real quick before we dive in, dear Lord. We love you, Father. We thank you for Jesus, and Lord, we come to you today and worship you, Lord, and magnify you and praise you, Lord, just for who you are. And Lord, it just brings me to a sense of awe, Father, to think about you and the ridicule, the opposition, the torture the force of power to try to stop you, Lord, and how you overcome. So, Lord, can we see that example set today, not only just in Ezra, but through you. And, Lord, that for us to know we have your spirit in us if we're in Christ, and we've repented of our sin, and we've submitted and surrendered our lives to you. So, Lord, we have the victory no matter what the circumstances look like. So Lord, I pray that you would speak, Father, to your people. Because I know there's somebody here today that's struggling. They want to quit. They want to give up. And Lord, I hope they hear your voice today. And Lord, they see the examples from your word. Lord, about no matter what it looks like, no matter what it seems, to resolve in their heart to never quit. And Lord, you're going to deliver us through. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that your will be done, that your word would ring forth in hearts and minds and lives and change us forever from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we know that we have this repetitive opposition, and we saw the opposition of these adversaries of God toward the rebuilding of the temple last week. Very specific, and it correlated so much with how Satan... And his demonic forces come against us, and even at times use other people, some of which sometimes claim to be with God, to come against us and deceive us to thwart God's plans in our life. So we see the deceptive speech from last week from these people that went and say, "Hey, we're with the Lord too. We want to help." But we know their intentions were not right. The Lord had given them that discernment to know. And then as soon as they were opposed, resistance came in. And the fight and the battle started. So we see from that message that we're to be on guard against that as well. That that not everybody that claims to be with the Lord is with the Lord, unfortunately. And how much more do we see that and know that to be true in these final days that we live out on this earth before Christ comes? that there is a great turning away, that many will be deceived and turn against God, and the love of most will grow cold. So we know we're going to face opposition, that people don't, don't want it done the right way anymore. And that's what these people wanted. They wanted to worship God and their other gods too. See, that was the whole point. They didn't want somebody coming in and just worshiping God, doing it the right way, getting back to the Word and, and getting back to what God commanded and, and all that Mosaic law and, and, and everything, Levitical law. They didn't want that anymore. They wanted to have their sin in God, too. You see, that's why the opposition arose. They didn't want somebody making them feel guilty about what they were doing. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in this message. Continuing opposition. So last week, we know, just to review really quickly, we saw deception. We saw discouragement. We saw they brought them to trouble and fear and then frustration. And then at the end of verse 5, we saw that this was relentless. So let's pick up in Ezra chapter 4 today, verses 6 through 8, where we ended with verse 5 last week. Ezra chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. I want to read that for us first. It says, In the reign of Hussurus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes... Also, Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabel, and the rest of the companions wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language. Rehum, the commander, and Shemsheh, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to king Artaxerxes in this fashion. All right, so what in the world are we talking about? We just ended verse 5. And we just talked about from Cyrus to Darius. Now we've got Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes. What in the world? we got four different kings. So I'm going to be honest. This took a little study and to dig out and figure out kind of what was going on chronologically here. And if you look back through history, Cyrus, king of Persia, reigned 550 to 530 B.C. Cambyses his son, 530 to 522. Darius, the one here from verse 5, 522 to 486. Then after Darius was Ahasuerus, 485 to 465 BC. And then after him was Artaxerxes, 465 to 424 BC. How many years is that? A lot. It's a lot. Just to look from verse 5, when you look from the time of Cyrus to Darius, how this opposition came, the Bible says during that period, we know that the decree was put out by Cyrus in around 538 BC for the Israelites to be able to return back to Jerusalem, all right? And then in chapter 3, we saw that they were in the second month of the second year there where they started laying the foundation of the temple. Remember that from chapter 3? So they're like some 14 months in, and opposition starts. So you put that somewhere around 537-ish B.C. And then the Bible says at the end of this chapter that we'll read later, where it says that this uh, stopping of the building of the temple was uh, in place until the second year of Darius. Well, we just said Darius reigned from 522 to 46, So that would have been somewhere around 520 where they resumed again. So I want you to see this from around 537 to 520 B.C., There was constant resistance and made them quit moving forward in what God called them to do. Think about that. So we know just from verse 5 that there's this lengthy oppression and opposition. But what we're going to see here in this passage, the significance of having these other two kings included as an excerpt, shows our first point when the enemy, our, our next point when the enemy comes to attack, is repetitive and relentless opposition. The enemy will come with repetitive and relentless opposition. So we see these two kings, Cyrus to Darius, but then here's Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes. Again, Artaxerxes, 465 to 424. So if you look from 537 and you go all the way down to uh, 424, you're talking some hundred years of opposition. What is that? A lifetime. Anybody else get a message right there besides me? When you step out to do what God has called you to do, expect opposition. How much? A lifetime's worth. Hey, I, and please, 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 don't let that discourage you and get, get you down, okay? Because what we're gonna see is, it happened to Jesus, too, for his whole lifetime. But he was victorious. And so that now his call to us is that we can also be more than conquerors through him that loves us. So there's victory ahead even through the opposition. But what I want us to get in our our head is to get rid of this prosperity gospel bozo stuff that's preached today that makes you think if you follow Christ, everything is just going to go well and hunky-dory for you. And that if something's not going well for you, if you're not healthy, wealthy, and wise at all times, that that means there's sin in your life and God's opposing you. That is hogwash and that is not biblical. Because the opposite is true. If you're in Christ and doing what God's called you to do, you will receive constant oppression and opposition. That's the Bible. Do you see that? We're going to see that even farther as we go through. So the thing would be, some people think, well, oh man, if you've got this much problem in your ministry and and in your life, and things are always going wrong, there's something wrong. No, just the opposite. If everything's going smooth in your ministry and in your life, you need to sit back and question, are you doing something right? Are you doing anything right? Or or is Satan helping you along? Because hey, you're not preaching the word like it should be preached anyway. You're watering down the gospel, and you you ain't preaching repentance and true salvation. You go ahead, build that big church. You're entertaining people anyway, man. I'm cool with that. I ain't gonna oppose you. That's scary stuff isn't it it's right here though when you're trying to come back to do things god's way you will have opposition plain and simple repetitive relentless opposition chalk it up so the significance of these other two kings Ahazarus and artaxerxes are to show the continued opposition here's the thing this excerpt here. So we see verse 4 through 23 talks about the totality, the broad kind of um, adversity of the overview of these Samaritans. But verses 6 through 23 is really an excerpt, okay, that shows even from the time of Nehemiah. Because these two kings were during Nehemiah's time, when he's rebuilding the city and the walls. And it refers to that here. So this decree of Artaxerxes did not come to stop the rebuilding of the temple it was showing the decree to stop the rebuilding of the city and the walls even 50 to 100 years later do you see that So was there opposition? Were people going to the kings here? Very likely so. We saw that they were hiring people in in the first passage from last week, that they were bringing people against them and trying to to discourage them and frustrate them. So I'm sure people were going to at this time, which would have been Cyrus or Cambyses or, or even Darius there at the time. They were probably going to them trying to get it shut down. But if you recall, Cyrus is the one who wrote the decree to send them there in the first place. So they probably didn't get very far with them. Okay? Cambyses was his son, likely didn't get very far with him either. So we don't see this, this actual decree coming to stop the building of the temple, but shows the resistance even down the road 50 to 100 years later. That's huge, guys. So Ezra, who's also likely the author of the book of Nehemiah, takes this excerpt, puts it in here to show the continued resistance, the relentlessness of the opposition. So, the temple, we know, was completed before these kings for, uh, for several reasons. Zerubbabel, who started the work, also saw it finished. Zechariah chapter 4 tells us that. The same, some of the same people who saw the glory of Solomon's temple lived long enough to see Zerubbabel's temple finished. That's in Haggai chapter 2. But then also, we know, through historical times, that the completion of this temple was done around 515 B.C. All right? So, we're... Definitely nowhere near the time of Hazarus or Artaxerxes. Does that make sense now? So we get an excerpt into this book of the continued opposition for years down the road. A lifetime. Even once the temple's built. Hey, that just shows us that even once, once we've had a victory and, and, and really overcome something in our life, that, does Satan stop there? No, he keeps coming. It's something else. It's something else that we must surrender to Christ and seek victory in so these walls and these foundations are those of the whole city even through Nehemiah not just the temple oftentimes these two operations are confused all right but we see that these reigns of these Kings was referring specifically to a a half century later after the temple was built continued opposition so now let's move to this letter What did they write? Because there's significance in that. Ezra chapter 4, let's read verses 12 through 16 and catch the gist of that. So when they wrote this letter to Artaxerxes, here it is in in chapter 4, verse 12. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who come up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it now be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now, because we receive support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king... That search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city harmful to kings and provinces and that they have incited sedition within the city in former times for which caused this for which caused this city was destroyed we inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. Did you see how it's talking about the city and the walls there and everything in this letter? Kind of proof that this was not just, was not, was not referring to the temple. This was years down the road. So what I want us to catch in here is the second thing the enemy is going to use in our passage today after we just repetitive and relentless opposition that we know is coming is false accusations, Here, these people made false accusations against these people. I want you to catch where this false accusation came. It says, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom. This was a lie and a false accusation against this particular people. Why? Because this particular people had done no such thing yet. Yes, there was some truth, which a lie always does have some truth, doesn't it? That the previous people of Jerusalem had done that. They were rebellious. They weren't living for the Lord. They were doing things wrong. So there was that truth from the time before. But these are, in many ways, a new set of people. Not to mention, even if they were some of the same people, the Lord had stirred in their heart and done a work, hadn't he? They'd already had time to repent and turn in their heart from the sin of turning away from God before and now God through that repentance was bringing them back do you see that so now what do we have here condemnation from the enemy sound familiar oh you can't do anything for God you've messed up remember what you did in your past you can't do anything for the Lord Remember what you did last night? Remember what you did last weekend? Remember what you said this morning? Remember that thought that just come across your head? You call yourself a Christian? You think you're gonna do something for the Lord? You think the Lord's gonna use you? Sound familiar? Our enemy's good at condemning us, isn't he? And these people were condemning them for their past, just like Satan wants to condemn us for our past. And make us feel like and even our present that we can't be used by god because of where we're at but i want you to hear today that god through a repentant heart and your heart and you surrendering and submitting to a holy god wants to lift you up and put you back on your feet and he is going to use you for his glory he's going to finish what he starts in your life if you'll let him so there was a lie False accusations. And you see in in this letter also, they called them a rebellious and evil city. They're going to rebuild this rebellious and evil city. Was that their heart so far? What was their heart that we saw in chapter 3? Return to worship. Set the altar in its place before there's even anything done. They had a renewed spirit in their heart. This was a different attitude, a different mindset, a different people. But they were being accused wrongfully, and even included about their past, from which they had no part of in this new movement that the Lord was doing through them. So, not only here, we see these people skillfully shape their words to the king. It said, it's not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. That'd be a little bit of this. Love you, king little brown nosing right a little smooch up we don't want to see you dishonored king we're for you man these people they're gonna they're gonna just man they're gonna ruin everything you got going king you don't want these people to get going how do how they do it look at verse 13 man they're not gonna pay you appealing to the king's money verse 14 they're gonna dishonor you that's his prestige right as the king verse 15 they are a rebellious people In other words, they're going to come against his power and his authority. And then if that's not enough, verse 16 basically said, you're going to lose control. You're going to lose your position. Do you get that? False accusations and even to the point of appealing to to a, a, a king who is not led by the Lord in his mind or his spirit, and he is very carnal in his thinking. Get that, because all this goes back to carnal and what makes sense on this earth. And they're going to come against God's movement of his people. So I want you to see that. So the attack of this letter was a skillful combination of truth and lies. Because yes, Jerusalem had a sinful past, but they were returning to be restored, renewed, and redeemed. It was a new mindset, a new people. They were coming back in their hearts. So even though the, the truth was in there, the lie stood out more. I want you to hear that. Even though there was a little truth, the lie stood out more. And that's what's going to happen when, when, when people come against you and, and, and they talk about you and give you false accusations. They're going to give a little bit of truth so that people will believe it. But the lie is going to stand out more. And that's what the enemy wants to do. And, and let's get this straight. Our battle is never against flesh and blood, never. It's never against a person or an entity. Our battle is against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, it's against Satan and his demonic forces that want to come against us. Here's the truth, though Satan oftentimes will find somebody's heart and tongue to bring that spiritual battle to earth every single time. He'll do it. And that's what we're seeing here. This is a spiritual battle, but it's being brought to earth by people who don't have their hearts and minds in the right place, spiritually. Same will happen to us with people that don't have their hearts and minds right. So, we have a similar pattern that we will see from our adversary, Satan and his demonic forces, that will come to attack us with this combination of truth and lies, and he will tell of our great sin, right? Right? which is often true Romans 3 23 for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but he comes and condemns us with it and tries to hold us down it's not healthy conviction you see that's the difference God's Word when like a loving Heavenly Father comes to us with his word he gives us conviction that stops us in our tracks and wants to guide us into a new direction and a new path for restoration Satan wants to take it and condemn us and squash us and make us think there's no hope and there is no new path that God wants us on. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference. Conviction is healthy and is from the Spirit of God through His Word. Condemnation is from the enemy and has nothing to do with the Spirit or His Word. So you can get that as you go through the Bible and maybe so many times you feel like your toes are getting stepped on when we preach God's Word here. That's a beautiful thing. We always say, don't put your steel-toed boots on to come to church. Put your flip-flops on spiritually. Let your toes get stepped on. That's the beautiful part of, of being in Christ. We should want God to shape us and mold us according to his word so that we can be more like Christ. And that only happens when we let our toes get stepped on because they need to be. All of us, even me. So it's a beautiful thing. So, But there's a difference with the condemnation message. Satan is our accuser. Even Revelations 12 tells us that. That he is the accuser of the brethren. And that he goes before God day and night against you. Did you know that? Relentless opposition. Satan goes to the great king, God, daily about us. You're going to use him? Don't you know what what Brad did in high school? (laughs) Don't you know what Brad used to do? You're going to use him? Hey, what's he accuse you of? He goes day and night, Revelation says, accusing you before your God, before your king. These people went relentlessly to the king, accusing false accusations to their king. See the similarity in that? Satan's a punk, but he's great at what he does. And then look at how this happened. It wasn't just one squeaky wheel. It wasn't just one annoyed person. It was a team. It was a group of people coming against them. You ever felt like you're teamed up on? Like it's bad enough when just one person makes some false accusations. You ever been, had a group of people team up on you? Maybe bullying, cyberbullying, all kinds of stuff that happens in, in this world through teens and everything else. You ever had a group of people come against you? That hurts worse, doesn't it? Where well, you don't know who to trust anymore. You don't know who thinks bad about you. That's a a bad place to be. That's where these Israelites were. They didn't know who to trust, what was going on. And so it sent them in fear to back up. Someone telling lies about them. Satan uses people's hearts and tongues if they're not aligned with Christ to do his work. You can see that even through the history of the Bible. You look at what Jezebel did against Elijah. You remember that? Once Elijah had, had come and had called down fire from heaven and then he had killed the, the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel got mad and come against him. And what did this brother do? You think, man, this dude just called down fire from heaven and burn up an altar that was soaking wet. You think he'd be like, Jezebel, what you got? Come on. What would he do? He ran and hid. Scared, fear, forceful opposition. How about Absalom and David? where Absalom come against his own father because he didn't think he handled a rape situation well and then went behind the scenes and what did he do? Gathered a crowd, baby. Talking bad about the king. Hey, I could do better. He's not handling things right. Man, we need to come and do a little revolt here. We need to, we need to kick the pastor out. You know what I'm saying? Hey, that's a church-dividing spirit. That's spirit of Absalom. How about Joseph? Remember Joseph. His own brothers came against him, sold him into slavery, put him on this path that seemed like it was nowhere near what God had him to do. But then we see what? Was God victorious in Joseph's life? Even though men tried to come against him through Satan, satanic opposition, was he victorious? Yes. So can we get a message in that? Constant opposition, but God proves faithful constant opposition but God proves faithful every single time so we get this snapshot of this years and years of accusations and discouragement from verse 6 through 23 why so that you and I can get an application message to set our minds for the battle to put, so that we can, as it was read to me before this message, so that we can continue to be reminded to put on the full armor of God. Because you need it. You need it. You and I need it. We're in a spiritual battle, guys. And it is going to be constant and repetitive. In our situation, in our world, it may not be daily. Praise God. Like these people had. But it is going to be monthly, possibly yearly and especially dependent on how far you are closer to the front lines for Jesus that's about how much more opposition you're gonna get take it for somebody who's been in ministry for 20 years I know it and I know it. The closer I I got to a ministry, even doing something that's seemingly so simple like like go share the gospel at a detention home and to see toward the end of the week how the enemy reared his head and tried to prevent in any way, shape, or form me and, and this team from going and sharing the gospel with a group of 20 kids in a detention home. And now even more so since here we are doing a huge movement for the Lord here. The opposition is heavy and it's constant. How about you? Have you resolved in your mind to be ready for battle? To never quit, no matter what the circumstances. What's that called? Perseverance. What's James chapter 1 say? What's perseverance do? We must let it, what, finish its work. Why? So that you and I will become spiritually mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hey, in the midst of the battle, God's doing a work in us. In me and in you. Yes, his mission will never be thwarted because it's his mission. It's not ours. It's, can we get that straight? It's not your mission. It's not my mission. It's God's mission. That's why it's not going to be defeated. Does that make sense? God isn't going to take no W, I mean, no L. He only gets W's. He only takes wins. So we need to set in our heart to be, for a resolve that we're going to graduate from AU. You know what AU is? Adversity University. You ever been there? I have. Have you graduated yet? Maybe you're just in 101. Maybe it's 201, 301. you got to go to 401 before you graduate, right? And then for you to want to step out a little farther for Christ, then you got to get your master's degree. Then you're going to take some of the 501 and 601 courses. You, you, You hear me? Adversity University. Nobody that ever did anything of significance in this word did not go through it. Every single one went through adversity. Why would you and I think it should be any different? God wants to do a work in us in the midst of our adversity. He wants to strengthen us and then he wants to prove himself faithful through the ones who resolve in their heart to not quit because they're not going to see you they're not going to see me they're going to see jesus in that because we're beaten down in our flesh like rocky and somehow some way god lifts us up off the canvas to defeat what's trying to defeat us ain't that the story you want god to write in your life i know it is so don't quit Whatever it is the enemy right now is coming against you and has teamed up people against you with and is, report, is, is, is uh, repetitively resisting you with, don't quit. Don't quit. God's at work. Let him do his work. And we're talking about the, the hard circumstances that come from standing for Christ, not hard circumstances that we bring on ourselves because of sin. There's a big difference. Some hard circumstances we bring on ourselves because of sin. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about hard circumstances brought on simply by living for Jesus and doing it right. There's a difference. So now we see that it's moved on. So they've sent this letter to the king. Let's see the last part of Ezra chapter 4. Let's read verse 18 through 24. Verse 18 through 24. Here's the king's response. This letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me and I gave the command and a search has been made and it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river and tax tribute and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum, Shemshay, and the, Shemsheh, the scribe, and their companions, that uh, demonic posse that they had built up, they went up in haste with their chest out to Jerusalem against the Jews, and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia so again verses 6 through 23 is this parentheses excerpt if you will from artaxerxes talking about the city and the walls down the road but then verse 24 comes quickly right back to the the time at hand showing that we're talking about zerubbabel and the temple being built because it says the house of god which is at jerusalem ceased and it was discontinued until that second year of darius king of Persia. so now we're back see that transition we're back to Darius in that time frame, so we know that this opposition was successful in making them stop. And how disheartening is that sometimes? Where man, where, where it, I do it and you do it, where we get so down and and we get so we feel so defeated, we don't even feel like doing God's work anymore. You ever been there? I mean, just just being real. Man, and, and, and Satan is so successful in our minds and in our hearts with this opposition to discourage us. That's why we have to resolve to never quit, to, to trust God for what he has moving us forward. The Bible says right here, after this king made this decree, this Artaxerxes, even years down the road, says they went in haste and by force, prideful, arrogant, boastful. You're defeated. You're never going to do anything for the Lord. You ever had times where you feel like maybe the enemy had won and that's the way you felt so message here is at some point yeah there's gonna be deception there's gonna be discouragement there's gonna be troubles and fear there's gonna be frustration there's gonna be relentless opposition there's gonna be false accusations but at some point against you and me there's gonna come forceful opposition through authority and bullying to make you stop to make you shut up about Jesus you can't pray in school. You can't carry your Bible in school. You can't fill in the blank. You can't say Jesus out here anymore. We're going we're gonna to take your interview off the air if you say Jesus. We've seen that before, haven't we? Forceful opposition to make you quiet, to make you not do what God's called you to do. Sound familiar? Very familiar. I don't know if you notice or not. There's people out there that don't like what God's trying to do in your life. There's people out there that don't like what God's trying to do through you. And they will go to any means to prevent it. Any means necessary to prevent it. If they can't discourage you and make you quit. If they can't frustrate you and make you quit. If they can't make false accusations against you and make you quit. They will come with force and try to make you quit. They will try to set you up. There will be a day, probably in this country. Lord, I hope we don't see it. But there will be a day where people are killed for the name of Christ right here. You say, oh, Brad, that's a third world country thing, man. That's going on overseas and stuff. Yes, it is. It is actually going on overseas. It will come to America before long if we continue down the path of unrighteousness that we're on. It starts with just removing God out of schools. It starts with removing the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse. It starts with just everything we see. Just remove God, remove God. Shut up, shut up. Uh Uh-uh, no, uh uh-uh. No, you can't preach this. You can't stand for this. That's not socially... uh, politically correct to to, to say that anymore to preach that pastor they're wanting to shut people up and it's going to get worse there will force be coming our way what does Matthew chapter 5 say did Jesus have anything to say about this let's go to him as we close turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 I want to read verses 10 through 12 the Beatitudes you ready How about 1 Peter chapter 4? I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. keep in context here, it's talking about Christ's suffering and ours. And that all these people that you want used to went out and, and, and party with and, and drink with and whatnot. That, when, man, once you stop, now they're going to come against you and say bad things about you. And then it's talking about serving God for his glory. Then let's look in verse 12. It says, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. I don't think I have to say any more beyond that. We know 2 Timothy 3.12 says, what? All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. A-double-L. All those who just claim to be a Christian, no. All those who wear a Christian t-shirt, no. All those who have a Christian bumper sticker on their car, no. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're not saved yet. The Spirit of God hasn't transformed you and entered your heart because if it is, you will mess up. You will fail miserably, almost daily and weekly, but you will have a desire in you to live godly. See the difference? You'll mess up, but the desire won't be there to continue messing up and making excuses for it. It'll be to repent and get it right. Lord, help me. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, redeem me. Lord, sanctify me. That's, that's the difference of salvation. It's changed heart. John 15 18 Jesus even said they will hate you because they hated me first the world will hate you why because you're not of this world he's called us out to be separate to be set apart to be different and if we're not hated by the world that means we're of the world that's what Jesus is saying that's why that's why first John says do not love the world or the things of this world because if you love the things of this world and you love the world the love of the Father is not in you who do you love who do you live for? How did Jesus know this would be the case? Because they did every single thing we just read in chapter 4 to him. Every single thing. Did they deceive him? Yes, yeah, Satan tried to deceive him. Remember when he come out of 40 days of fasting and the temptation of Satan trying to deceive him? How about Judas? Did Judas deceive him? Did he know though? Yeah. But you see, deception. How about discouragement? Did they try to discourage the work of Jesus while He was on this earth, absolutely, all the time. Did they try to trouble Him and, and make Him fearful if they could? Yeah, they tried to do that. Did they try to discourage Him? Hundred percent. Was it repetitive opposition all the time, the thirty years of His life? Yes, it was. Read your Bible. Did they make false accusations against Him? That's why He went to the cross, baby. That's why He went to the cross. He didn't sin. He didn't do anything wrong. They made false accusations against Him. And set him there and put him before Pilate. And, and, and Pilate had to wash his hands and said, man, he's yours. And they chose Barabbas after him. False accusations. And then did they forcefully come to try to stop him? Did they arrest him in the garden? Yeah. How many soldiers did it take? Five hundred, hundreds. For one man, they forcefully come to stop him. And then they took him and they wrongly accused him and sentenced him and they beat him and they whipped him and then they nailed him to a cross where he had to fight for every breath all the way till his last one. And then they poked him in a side with a spear to make sure that he was done, to make sure that his work was not going to be finished. You see, but what they didn't know is that this was God's mission. And what they just did that they think was defeating him was actually completing his mission that the Father had set him on. So what did Jesus just do? He set us an example. Did he quit? Mm -mm. Did he change the plan? Did he try to do it his own way? Mm -mm. He did it the Father's way. He walked out through every single part of opposition and false accusation and forceful opposition to complete the mission that God has set him on. So how about you and me? What has God called us to do? Who has God called us to be? Mom and dad is the spiritual leader of our home. Who has has God called us to be in the workplace? Who has God called us to be in the school, on the ball team? Who has God called us to be in this community? That we're about to give up on because it's hard. And we're facing opposition. That's why it's so important, guys, that we resolve in our hearts To never quit. I'm going to close with this passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. You're going to hear a little bit more about this next week as we close this three-week mini-series within this series on not quitting. But I want to put it before you now and read it. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus finished what he started. And Jesus wants to finish in you what he started. Don't quit. Don't quit, church. I don't care how repetitive and lifelong the opposition seems. I don't care about the false accusation and the teaming up against you. I don't care even about the forceful opposition. Here's the truth as we continue to read and look. The temple was built, was it not? May have been delayed a little bit. But did they stop God's work from being completed? So may Satan be able to hinder you a little bit, knock you off balance for a season? Yeah. But if you and I stay faithful and let perseverance finishes at work, will God finish and complete what he started in your life? 100%. Stay faithful to Him. He's faithful to you even when we're not faithful. Even when we stop building for 18 years like they did. He's still faithful to come back and renew and restore in us and complete what He started, church. Hey, the Lord deserves a big round of applause for that. Because even when we're not faithful, He is. Because, again, it's not our mission. It's His. It's not your life. It's His. He doesn't... Need you and me, but he wants you and me to be a part of what he's doing. Isn't that beautiful? Would you surrender and give your all for him and your life to him? The attacks are gonna come. And Satan knows when it's the right time to throw a knockout punch. When you're beaten, man when you've been in the corner, just taking the punches and you're being pounded on, when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're about to give up, then he knows when it's the best time to throw the knockout punch and send you to the canvas. You may be and feel like you're on the canvas right now, but I wanna tell you right now that if you're in Christ Jesus, if your heart is surrendered to him and you are repentant before him and you come to him and you live for him and your desire is to be your all for him, he's gonna pick you up off the canvas and you're gonna see the defeat of the enemy who is defeating you will you come to him today will you give him everything everything your time your treasure your heart your life your service in the body of Christ where we know we're getting ready to go over there into a school. We're going to need people to step up, man. It can't just be the same five, six people loving on. We need people to help. Love on some teachers, love on some kids. serving kids' ministry. We want to get our infant ministry going back up. And, and, and for the younger kids that can't walk, we only have two classes back there. That means we'll go to four. What does that mean? We need twice the help we've been able to get a kids' ministry to make that happen. What is God calling you to do? Will you come and serve the body? and make this everything God wants it to be, that we can bring other families in to love on them, that the truth could go forth. Man, how horrible would it be for somebody to leave a Bible-preaching church like this, where it's rare to find, and they go somewhere else because their kids weren't cared for in kids' ministry, right? Everybody wants a great kids' ministry, a thriving kids' ministry, but nobody wants to help. And we need it desperately. Desperately if that's going to work in May. Because we have nobody right now. What's God called you to do? Come see Tim and I here at the altar. Tell us if if the Lord's leading you that way. Maybe in the weeks to come, maybe you need to pray over that. And I'm not asking you to commit to every single week. Maybe it's a rotation. We're gonna need other service teams involved, not just kids ministry. There's gonna be some setup and tear down involved. There's gonna be some people that need to get to church a little early now and set some stuff up and then tear it, stay a little late and tear it down after service. We've been spoiled for two years and haven't had to do much of that, but that's coming now for a period of time. Will you step up and help? Will you be the hands and feet of Jesus and serve so that somebody else doesn't get bored down, beat out, discouraged, burn out, and quit? Let's all be the body and let's come together. So, what do you say? When the moment comes and it will come, when you're laying on the canvas, are you going to stay down until the final count? are you going to choose to get up in Christ? Let's bow our head and close our eyes right now. I want to know if there's anybody here that might say, Brad, I'm going through a struggle. All this we've looked at in chapter 4, all this we've talked about, all this we said that Jesus Jesus went through. I feel like I'm going through so much of it, so much resistance and opposition, and I just want to quit. If that's you in any circumstance and you need prayer, would you just raise your hand and say, Brad, I want you and the pastors to pray for me. I'm going through a, a struggle, a hard time, something difficult, challenging at work, at school, in my family, wherever. And I just need you to pray for me. Amen my hands up please pray for me is there anybody here that has never accepted Christ and made him Lord of their life if there is I want you to do that today I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I want you to understand is is not a magic prayer the words don't save you just saying the prayer doesn't save you Romans 10 9 10 says with your heart that you believe and are justified and are saved where's your heart but if you're ready to s- surrender to repent and commit your life to Christ, I want you to repeat these words from your heart to God's heart and accept him for the first time. Or if you're here and you say, Brad, a previous time I accepted Christ, but lately I've walked away, I've gotten off path, and I want to come running back to Jesus today. I want you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart and rededicate your life back to him. Get on fire for him. Be renewed, restored, just like these Israelites here are returning and coming back. So, if that's you to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life to him, just say, Dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. I've messed it up. I've been living for myself, for the things of this world. And Lord, I want you to put me back together. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross so that I could be redeemed, restored, renewed, so that I could be forgiven through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed thank you for raising him from the grave three days later proving that he is god in all victory and lord i want to claim that victory right now in my life over an enemy that's trying to defeat me and lord my commitment to you is from this day forward that every breath that i make and every step i take will be for your glory Amen. If you prayed that prayer just now, you meant business with God to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life. Would you just boldly and unashamed right now raise your hand. Say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God and I'm not ashamed. Amen. Amen. I see you. Amen. Impact. can we give Jesus a big round of applause today? God is faithful. The enemy's coming to discourage, to wear you out, to tire you out, to knock you in the corner. To keep beating on you, and at the right time, he's going to throw the knockout punch. He's going to knock you to the canvas. What are you going to do? You going to quit? Or we're going to get up because Christ is faithful, and he's victorious. Will you live for him? Will you go this week, and will you take this message, and when you live it out? i promise it'll make an impact for jesus wherever you go we'll see you next week hey we're going to close this three-week miniseries up next week you don't want to miss that grab friends grab family and let's pack this place out next sunday we'll see you next week
0: thanks again for joining us today the lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.